Hello and welcome to the Hoop Troop Podcast. I am Matt O'Connor and joining me as he does on all of our shows, my cousin Luke Drobner. What's up guys? And we are back after now five games of the NBA Finals. The Warriors took a pretty commanding three to two lead last night. I know that it's it's only one game, but when things are tied up to a piece, you got to figure whoever wins game five, I think they were going through some of the metrics, like you typically ends on going, ends up to go win the series. So it was a pretty pivotal game and the Warriors really kind of took care of business there. Um, and the Celtics had a resurgence. We'll kind of get into the game a little bit, but I am, uh, I'm definitely impressed by what the Warriors brought out. Now my dog is barking. Maisie, quiet. None of that. Come here. I know you're excited to talk about the finals. I get it. Um, but so Luke, what are your takeaways from, I think we recorded after game two last. So what are your thoughts on how the, the series progressed since it was tied up at one apiece? The Celtics kind of seem to run out of gas. Their fourth quarter games. offense is horrible. It's horrible. But in both games, they really come to a halt. They go into the fourth. It's a close game. And then you just kind of see them fall apart. And I think in game five, it really showed how tired Tatum was when he was trying to shoot some of those jump shots and everything was short. And I just don't think he has the legs right now to continue in the series. And it really right. crushes my opinion on the Celtics because obviously they're a good team, but I just don't think they have enough in the tank to beat the Golden State Warriors. But is it just that? Like, I don't think it's just fatigue and sure they've had a very difficult road to get to this point. So I don't want to just like totally dismiss that. But at the same time, I mean, when they're playing fourth quarter offense in the half court, there's no ball movement. It's a lot of weird isolation and kick. And the Warriors are just, they figured that out. They know that when any anyone drives to the lane, they're looking to kick to a three-point shooter. So they're not even trying to contest any shots. Um, so they it's don't really, really have any ball handlers. I think yeah. that's the biggest issue, right? Like Tatum Brown and Smart, none of them are known as a primary ball handler. I'd say Tatum's no. a shot creator. Jalen Brown's an inside-out wing. And Marcus Smart's a defense-first right wing so i don't i don't i don't feel they have a strong enough point guard i think that's another thing that they could definitely improve on i think they need to bring in somebody like a ricky rubio or i don't know like i guess jalen brunson if it was the right price someone who could just move the ball a little bit they but. definitely lack that facilitator and it's 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 clear because mm-hmm. they're trying to have brown and tatum do it and i do we were talking about this last night during the game that it started with Jason or with um, Jalen Brown in that second half, the beginning of that third quarter, it was all Jalen Brown attacking, kicking, either getting to the foul line. It was really encouraging to see. And that's how they made their comeback. Um, But then the problem was that all goes away. And then if you don't have anyone creating like that, Jason Tatum kind of has shown an inability to do that um, and to really put that pressure on in the interior that enables the supporting cast, the Celtics to get open, at least in this series. So, With, you know, if you're not going to have Jalen Brown kind of taking on that, really that primary ball handler role, I don't see any way for them to really win this series. And it really does rest on the shoulders of Jalen Brown in my eyes. Even even then, like here we are talking about Jalen Brown and, you know, how he has to be more aggressive, get to the rim, use his handle a little bit. But, uh, you know, every time we kind of see him get gutted by Draymond, it becomes an issue because Draymond's a good defender. He stays in front. He has active hands. He's strong. 
unlike some of the other guys who've been guarding Jalen Brown, who are more like a wing or a guard or something like that, that he can push around a little bit. He can't do that with Draymond. Right. And there was a point in the series where the Celtics were kind of doing what teams have done the other way on some of the offensive superstars, like a Trey Young or Steph Curry or Luka, where they make it so hard to play them on defense that you don't really want to keep them in for offense. They were doing the opposite for Draymond, where they were like, it is so miserable to have Draymond be in on offense that you just you like you can't have him on the floor even if he's being productive on defense. And last yeah. night, Draymond had what like uh, ten points or something like that, and he he just was efficient. He played well. And he had his best was... offensive game of the series by far last night. I mean, heading into last night, Game Five, I mean, he had more fouls than points in this series through four games. That is astounding. Yeah. To Eight be your like, six shots third best night. player and to be like that. No He's not, but his impact is defense, right? And when you think about their best players, it's Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, and that's kind of where their offense is coming from. And we, we mentioned that we want to talk about Wiggins a little bit. Wiggins has played really well. He's played the most minutes in the series, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I think the Warriors did something interesting. When he came Second over in that trade, it was really as like trade fodder and salary filler to kind of make that happen. And a lot of teams, I think, especially with championship aspirations would have tried to shed that salary, especially given Wiggins reputation. But what they've done is actually the opposite. They made him fit a role that is best suited to his strengths and he's excelling in it. And we really saw it in game five and in game four. I mean, game four, he was magnificent. So like there are, there are certainly things um, that the Warriors do in that organization that are unconventional. Um, but you can see why they've had a successful last 10 years. Maisie, you got to stop barking. No, I know, I know. I, think... I know. Sorry. <laughs> All good. I think it was really interesting because I feel like the Warriors moved on from D'Angelo Russell at the perfect time when his value was still really high. Timberwolves gave up. Our first round pick, which turned into Kamingo, which was a top 10 pick. Uh, a second round pick and Wiggins. That were the three they gave up. The Golden State Warriors gave up Jacob Evans, D'Angelo Russell, and Amari Spellman. I don't, I don't think Jacob Evans is in the NBA anymore. I don't think Amari Spellman's in the NBA anymore. And D'Angelo, I'd rather have Andrew Wiggins over D'Angelo Russell any day of the week. The Timberwolves are also now shopping D'Angelo Russell. That's what I mean. I'd much rather have Wiggins and Kuminga than D'Angelo Russell. I think I definitely agree with that. I mean, the problem is the, the price tag. Maisie, you got to stop. No, quiet. All right, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to I'm gonna put this out. I just need to see what she's doing. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Let me figure this out. I'll be right back to talk about Wiggins. Maisie, what do you want? All right, sorry about that. We're cutting that out. But <laughs> anyway, back to the Wiggins discussion. You're right. I do think D'Angelo Russell for Wiggins straight up is like just an interesting concept, let alone those other pieces. But I do. I think hanging on to Wiggins, despite his price tag, was certainly probably hard to swallow. Um, but they're showing it's it's kind of paid off. He really is filling that Harrison Barnes and then obviously Kevin Durant role in that mm-hmm. system pretty well. Obviously, he's no Kevin Durant, but I think he's doing exactly what Harrison Barnes did when they went and won in 2015. So, yeah, you're overpaying for him to do that. But at the same time, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's really working for them. They have this model and it's clearly um, showing success. One thing I do want to say though, is as well as the Warriors have been playing, I feel like they've clearly been vulnerable and the Celtics have not been able to take advantage. 
I really do. I think in games two and four, the Warriors looked very strong. Um, but in the other, in this last win, I really think the Celtics, um, they botched I mean, this, the Celtics came back in game five. They were down by... Yeah, I mean, they were down... Something like that. They were down 16 early in the first quarter. They And then they they worked their way back. I mean, they outscored... They When the Warriors are great in the third quarter, I mean, Boston still outscored by 11 in game five, had a lead, but then that fourth quarter offense happens. And I do want to point I out just, there's something worth noting here as well. Steph Curry's streak of 233 consecutive games of the regular season and playoffs of making at least one three-point uh, basket ended yesterday. Steph Curry yeah. was, I mean, I don't want to say he was bad. He still had a good game last night, but he was 0 for 9 from 3. How do you lose that the game? Warriors, How the do you Warriors, lose that game? The Warriors took advantage of a lot of really bad Boston turnovers. Like Gary Payton Jr. can't have 15 points on eight shots. And I want to say most of his points were off turnovers. Obviously, he's out there to play defense on some of these guys. And if you're going to let him get 15, you're going to lose the game. Jordan Poole looked good. Clay Thompson played well. He had 21 on 14 shots. Obviously, Wiggins looks good. And one more thing I want to mention about Wiggins. He was never a bad player. His, his game just never translated to wins. So the fact that he's playing valuable minutes on a team that was already winning makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, 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 like, I don't know, the turnovers and the poor shooting. I really feel like Tatum at the end of the game was trying to play – both Brown and Tatum were trying to play this hero ball where you say, like, Brown wants to try and put his head down and get to the rim. And Tatum's getting to his spots in the middle of the floor and just coming up short on a lot of these jump shots I feel that he can make. And I think he would make if it was, you know, the middle of the regular season or early in the playoffs or something like that. Obviously, we've seen him you know, be an elite level of shot creator. There's just – it's less that the Warriors won game five and more that the Celtics lost it. They needed to clean up a lot, and they needed to shoot the ball better, especially in the first half, and they just can didn't. We, can we talk about something, too, and it's more general than just game five? Jason Tatum has been a shell of himself this entire series. And he was better in game five, but he disappeared in the fourth quarter. But no, I there's a reason, there's a reason I'm I want to hit someone on the his whole posting every day about Kobe and emulating Kobe and wearing Kobe stuff and tweeting texts about texting Kobe and then coming out and like shitting the bed like this. It's 100% agree with you. I think he has to like Ben Simmons and not play next season because there's I mean, there's no excuse for this. This is pathetic. You can't call out Kobe like this and then perform like this. It's insane. It's, been really tough. it's yeah. insane. And honestly, like I, I don't think he's getting enough slander for how bad he's been. Really, I think. I think that. Boston's. I think Boston's a really no. I don't. He hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been up to the level that he wanted to be at. He's not Kobe. He's not Jordan. He's not LeBron. He's young. He's only, what, 23, 24? 24, 25, I think, yeah. I think he's a year or two younger than me. But still, I mean, regardless. He's 23. He's 23. And he talked a big game, and he should have come out and played well, but they're really tired. I think someone on the telecast yesterday mentioned that neither Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum came out in the second half. They played the full 24 minutes after playing a really tough first half against a really good team when they were down. So, they were out there grinding for 45 minutes last night. Tatum, they both played 44 minutes yesterday. That's a lot of minutes. On top of that, 
They had a, I mean, they swept the Brooklyn Nets, easy series. I mean, they went back to back seven series after that. Right. That's what I mean. And it's not like they were easy series, right? It was like, okay, it was a seven game series and they just kind of dropped the ball in a couple of those games. The Heat and the Bucks came to play. It's a physical game. They were guarding top players. It's a lot. And I just think that we, we put so much on the Celtics, you know, but they're going up a really savvy veteran team who's had a lot of rest. The Celtics are young. This is their first time to the finals. Obviously, they've been to the playoffs before, but I just I, I think there's so much more that Tatum and Brown needs to learn before the Celtics can truly be a championship contender. Obviously, what they have here is really great. Not quite there yet. Another year, another year or two. I don't think they're going to make it back to the finals next year, kind of see what the Suns did. But if they can kind of keep this core together, Tatum, Brown, smart, I don't know how long Horford could be around. Robert Williams is obviously really good on their team. Um, and they have some guys on their bench, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard. So it just takes time. I do think there have been some scheme issues with the way that they've been playing against the Warriors. And I said it after the first two games. I'll say it again now. Playing drop coverage mm-hmm. against Steph Curry just doesn't make sense. And sure, you're saying, all right, you know, we're that's our best way to hedge our bet against you. We're going to kind of guard your team as a whole. But and and sure yesterday they attempted to face guard him at half court and look at it Steph does not hit a three-point shot but if you don't have 20 million turnovers and miss your first I mean also they from the free throw line the Celtics they were awful so Tatum Tatum got fouled late in the fourth he missed both free throws and I again or in the first or in the second quarter rather where he missed both free throws twice in a game and he's Kobe Kobe made two free throws on a torn Achilles. Like, dude, you're shooting yourself in the football as Kobe talk. It's ridiculous. 100%. I, and it, it was ballsy. When LeBron first went to the finals with the Heat team, they were making fun of Dirk. Dirk had the uh, flu game, the Dirk flu game. Yes. And LeBron and Wade were in the tunnel coughing, mocking Dirk. And they got smacked in that finals. There's a there's a attitude you have to bring to each finals game, and it just takes time to learn that. And the Celtics are figuring that out now. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Sorry, I'm now I, getting, it, getting my dog another dog treat because I need to bribe her to not interrupt the Hoop True podcast. There you go. Go nuts. Okay. Well, yes. So. I do. I think that there is certainly that learning curve. Um, But I mean, it's just frustrating when you see Steph Curry go 0 for 9 from 3 to have a performance. It's a winnable game. What? It's a winnable winnable. How many? I mean, realistically, 233 basketball games have happened happened since the last time Steph has not made a three pointer. This is the most winnable game of those 233. And they couldn't, they didn't have it in them. And that's because they, you know, there are just certain things they need to clean up. Tatum needs to improve his handle. Jalen Brown needs to improve his handle. You know, Marcus Smart, I don't know how much more you're going to see out of him, but they need to bring in a point guard. I think when you, like, when through and through, when you yeah. look at their roster, I'd be happier starting Grant Williams and Al Horford if I could find a, a suitable point guard off the bench, if I could replace Al Horford with Malcolm Brogdon or someone like that, 
Why not? I mean, it sounds like Brogdon's going to be available this summer, so it would be interesting. I've seen him linked to a couple different teams well, that are like point guard heavy or needy, excuse me. I don't remember where I saw this, but there was like a NBA point guard free agent value. Uh, like a top 10 available. Yeah. I yeah. It had like Kyrie Irving worth like 48 million or something like that. And, and then it had Brunson as the number two worth like a ton. Yeah. 29. I mean, it was a little ridiculous. Yeah. Just like who's – Brunson was – I think they were going to give him like close to 30 million. Who in their right mind does that? Oh, here it is. It was the Athletic put this out. I think it was John Hollinger. Um, so it had Kyrie, number one, worth 48.5 million. Then Brunson worth 29.4. Rubio um, worth 15.5, but he's coming off an injury. Then I didn't overly agree with their breakdown of the next few guards. It has DeLon Wright next at 14.6, Tyus Jones at 13.8, Anthony Simons at 11.5, then Bledsoe, Patty Mills, John Wall, Raul Neto. So, like, there is a drop-off. I feel like Simons is way more intriguing than any of Rubio, Wright, Tyus Jones. And even then, like, Rubio's coming off an injury, so that's a little scary. So, like, that's why I, I say that, but... Yeah, I don't agree with the Rubio evaluation, but I mean, and also uh, the price. I, I think some of those guys, but Anthony Simons, I think is a really good option. I also think if they go for like Tyus Jones, he would be the perfect fit with this Celtics team. I think Tyus Jones is going to get a lot of offers this season because I think he has the right price tag for a lot of teams and does what some of these teams need. He's a low turnover point guard. Mm-hmm. And I think in that 10 to 15 million range, preferably closer to 10, it's, it's a very reasonable contract, especially too. He's probably going to start in Boston at the one. So. I don't know. I I think the starting lineup kind of remains the same. If anybody drops off the starting lineup, it's Hal Horford. I'm not so confident moving Jason Tatum to the power forward just because in the current system, I have Robert Williams kind of hunting for blocks and my power forward is the rim protector. Okay. So I'm not so confident in Tatum. I think I need to keep Tatum and Brown in, obviously. Maybe you move Smart out of the lineup, but I don't like it's more of a lineup thing. Like if Marcus Smart's really not playing well, I don't like the way the ball's being moved when he's on the floor, then I bring in whoever I have at point guard off the bench. And right I now, mean, I don't, I, not I've never loved I've never loved starting both Horford and Time Lord. I like I understand Horford is valuable. Um but I still I think, think when, Tatum can play the four. I think it's similar to like, and again, not to make everything about the Knicks, but it is the team I know the best. Back in 2013, Melo was so reluctant to play the four, but the Knicks were so much better when they played smaller with him at the four. They just were on sure. that. Um, I think the same true for the Celtics, especially with how strong of a defender they have in Robert Williams, because it's no different, again, comparing those two teams where your best player is going to be playing as a small ball power forward, but then you have a clean up center. The Knicks had Tyson Chandler. And I think Time Lord is even more effective now in this modern NBA center role at doing that. So I think that they can go smaller. Um, I think it's on Tatum though, to be willing to, all right, you're going to get hit a little more. It's going to be a little more physical, but you're going to have, you're going to be able to exploit a lot more mismatches. This is a poor matchup with Draymond at the four, of course, but you're not always going to have that. So that's why I think having him at the four actually could be a positive in most matchups. Okay. What about bringing Grant Williams off the bench, putting him in at power forward instead of Al Horford? You kind of get like that PJ Tucker, Draymond Green type defender 
obviously he's had some big games. He shoots threes. So I guess I just, I still think Al Horford's veteran leadership is probably more valuable than the slight uptick in versatility that Grant Williams gives Grant you. Williams brings. But I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm not sold on either there. Sure. Yeah. Um, but all right. So let's get back to this, this series. Game six is when it's um, Friday, I think. Friday. Ooh, nice. Game Some six, six, sixteen. It's on Thursday, Thursday night. Thursday night. Okay. And game seven would be. It, are the Warriors closing it out in Boston? Mm, I don't think so. You don't. I do. I think we get we get back to Boston. Crowds amped up. You kind of feel the energy. Uh, game four a little bit was a uh, heartbreaker, especially because Celtics are at home. You have the energy. You have the the crowd noise in your favor and whatnot, you should kind of feel the energy, especially in such like a classic setting, right? It's like, right. you know, you go to MSG, even as a fan sitting in the crowd, I can feel the difference between sitting at MSG and sitting at Staples Center. The atmosphere is just so different. And, you know, here you are, you're a Boston Celtics player, the whole crowd rooting for you. It's got to feel good. So you kind of wanted to see the Celtics finish a little stronger in game four. I think it'll happen in game six. They'll feel some type of urgency. They have a couple of days for rest here. I just, you know, I kind of, it's, I, it's I funny. I feel, I feel a little bit of the opposite. I thought they were going to have that same urgency last night and they didn't, they came out, they could not make a shot. I mean, they, there was no urgency to get to the rim. It was a terrible first half. Sure. And, and a hundred percent. So if I couldn't see it last night, and especially in a night when I feel like the Warriors weren't even great, Wiggins was the only one that I felt like played exceptionally well. The rest, I mean, Draymond had his best game of the series, sure, but like it's not like he was like totally game changing by any stretch of the imagination. Like it wasn't like he went off. So that's why I really do just think like if they couldn't even beat that version of the Warriors, you got to figure. Warriors are trying to pu- push them out and not allow a game seven. They're going to have the similar sense of urgency. It's going to be a really, really, the Warriors are 100% going to come out and be ready. Game six, Clay. I think I Steph Curry is going to have a bounce back game. They've been here. They've done this. They know what they have to, they know who they have to be to win this game. It'll be upon Boston to really step up and play really well. Yeah, that's what I think. Well, if it does go to. seven, do you think the Warriors win it? I think the Warriors will win it in seven. I think the Warriors have this unlocked. Either win the next game or they win game seven. I want to say they end up winning in seven just because they get back home. They feel the energy. Boston's tired. We also Warriors get more basketball if that down. happens, so I am kind of hey, definitely rooting for that game seven. I, I'd have a much appreciated game seven. Um, yeah. but and I think that would be we'll what, Sunday if it does happen. Yeah, uh, game six Thursday and – Game seven's on Sunday. Sweet. That would rock. Tune in, ABC, 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm in. I wish that also these games would start at like 8.30. Give me, an, give me just an extra half hour. By the end of all of these games, as like into them as I have been, I'm like, oh, I'm falling asleep. As, as a West Coaster, I can let you know that the West Coast is the worst time zone for sports. Yeah, it's brutal. And the fact that they have to, the fact that, you know, they're, uh, that these leagues are, trying to find the balance between having a good time for the West coast and the East coast. It makes the games a little better on here on the West coast, but usually like, usually it's like 10 30 at night and we're watching Scott Van Pelt on sports center. Yeah. Say, it's awful. Over by that point. 
the only alternative to that though is like if the games start at 10 30 like if they start at 7 30 your time 10 30 eastern it's good terrible. lord by the end of it yeah it's a nightmare so i saw you you like some post on twitter about how the mets only have like two more games that start late or something like that yeah that i mean the mets are they have 100 games left and i think only two or three of them start after like 7 40 or something like that eastern exactly. it's just awesome yeah they got they just had like a crazy road trip so let's go mets Come, second best team in the mlb as of right now number one team in New York. <laughs> uh <laughs> As of right now, the only I don't want to watch baseball, but I can tell you when it's college basketball and college football season, some of those games start late here on the West Coast. Especially Definitely. the college basketball it can be really entertaining because Bill Walton calls the Pac-12 games. I know. So you get like those a classic UCLA USC matchup, and Bill Walton's like, "Oh man, it's going to double overtime. I got to pee." Yeah, he's just spacing out. It's awesome. I love Bill Walton. He's crazy. He's nuts. Um. All right, so now that we're, I feel like, caught up on the finals, I want to s- switch gears a little bit to some other um, pretty major news. The Warriors are – or excuse me, not the Warriors. Warriors assistant Kenny Atkinson signed a four-year deal to coach the Charlotte Hornets. What are your impressions of that? Because it was him or D'Antoni, it sounded like. so. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting decision to bring in Atkinson. Obviously, both D'Antoni and Atkinson are good coaches. I think D'Antoni has a little bit more of a proven track record, and I think that's just purely based upon opportunity. D'Antoni's obviously been in and around the league as a head coach for a long time. Atkinson, not so much. But Atkinson did have a lot of really great success with a young Brooklyn team led by D'Angelo Russell, turned D'Angelo Russell into an all-star. So... It'd be really exciting to see. I think both coaches would have done a really great job. In my opinion, I like Dan Tony a little more just because I know, like me as a player, I want to see LaMelo get be as a fan. I want to see LaMelo get out and run and throw crazy alley oops and things like that. But I think Atkinson's going to bring a culture and a mentality. He's going to bring the right mindset and scheme to the Charlotte Hornets. And I think it'll end up being good for the long term success of this team. Whereas, yeah. you know, I think Dan Tony could definitely lift this team up into a playoff team. Whether or not they turn into a championship contender is another question. I don't think they're at the right strategic point just in their, their progression to hire a Dan Tony. Dan Tony's the type of guy that really raises your championship ceiling, but right now they need to raise their floor. Because honestly, sure. next season, you could tell me, all right, they have potential to go be the sixth seed in the East with this roster. I really can't imagine they're going to be higher than that, but I could also very easily see them not making the playoffs entirely. So there's a huge range there. And that like includes the play-in. I could see them missing the play-in just depending on how some teams rebound. So there's certainly that range. And that's why I think bringing in an Atkinson and building this culture and just having some of this development is very important because I think you want to just start raising that floor, make sure they're a consistent playoff team, start building that foundation then you take the next steps. And unfortunately, in Brooklyn, Atkinson never really got a chance to see that through because Durant sure. and Kyrie come in. And Durant and Kyrie. Right. But if they do it right here, I think Atkinson could be very much a championship ceiling raising coach. However, we just haven't seen it. And so I think for right now, they made the smart call of we need to raise our floor. And then from there, you see, is it Atkinson? If it is perfect, if it's not, then you switch to someone that's going to be able to make that change. You know, they have a they have a really interesting roster. I think there's a couple guys on the move. Gordon Hayward, I think, said he wanted out. Did he? I just saw that he's been rumored in trades. A lot of trades. 
Kelly Uber is another one of those guys who's rumored in yeah. a lot of trades. Montrez Harrell just got arrested in Kentucky. I saw that. Uh, yeah, not great. And then, and then after that, you don't really have much. Mason Plumlee. They need a center. They need a center. center. They 100% need a center. They have Lamella Ball. They have Miles Bridges. P.J. Washington's a good piece. James Boonight didn't play at all last season. And then they have a bunch of other young guys like Kai Jones, Jalen McDaniels. Cody right. Martin's 26. I, I'd still consider him pretty young. They have guys on two-way contracts. So uh, it, it'd be interesting to see what they give Kenny Atkinson to start the season, especially because I think there's potential to make moves here right now and yeah. kind of shore up some of the roster and kind of build something for the future. Do you know what pick they have? I think they're like – let me go on tank. They're 13. Yeah, I was going to say. I knew they were in the lottery, but – Tankathon has them drafting Mark Williams. I think that's a good pick. Um, I, think I if they never get... love grabbing centers that early, um, just especially ones that I feel like uh, I'm going to use like the – and Jared Allen's a bad example, but the rim-running centers. Um, Jared Allen was, what, 27? I think he was later, yeah. Um, but that's how I, I, but I put Mark Williams points. and, honestly, um, Jalen Duran kind of in that category of like – you don't know if they're going to be that differentiating center because you can realistically find that production in the second round. Like you, I feel like just general, like traditional centers, which it seems like both of them kind of are sure. They're more athletically mm-hmm. gifted and have a better control of the game than some of those guys you can get in the second round, but it's more replaceable. That's why I don't love looking to add a center through the draft. Um, I think the biggest issue with drafting a center early is the second contract, you kind of see the same thing. Obviously, the Suns are super cheap, but you kind of see what the Suns are doing with DeAndre Ayton. They're kind of screwing him out of the second opportunity. Speaking of DeAndre Ayton, if he wants out, it's a team I'm calling if I'm Charlotte. I'm saying, you guys, you want pick 13 plus other things? We're in. You know, I, I would absolutely, I think LaMelo, Ayton, and if you kept Bridges, building around that core could be very fun. And it's young, think- it's intriguing. If you can figure out a way to send back Kelly Oubre, and obviously Gordon Hayward can be really productive on a championship team. So I mean, they might want a Terry Rozier. They might want to, you know, they might want Gordon Hayward. They might want, like, I feel like those are parts of that, that system. I don't know. Would you rather have campaign on whatever he's making right now or Terry Rozier on $18 million a year? Yeah, I mean, obviously campaign at that price tag. I'm just saying Terry Rozier has shown he can be a little bit of a combo guard playoff ball. So sure. It's a little intriguing. Um, I'm not saying it's perfect, and obviously they have their financial issues because Sarver's cheap, but something yeah. to look at. You know, I think that the the Hornets do have enough to offer other teams that are that are certainly intriguing, and obviously Gordon Hayward is probably chief among that for a team like the Suns. Um, okay. I've seen them linked to potentially Rudy Gobert. I don't love that, but I agree they do need to get a center. That has to be their priority. They need a center. I think it would be better to look in the draft for them potential center in the future because i mean Lamelo's 20 i'm not I also so think their timeline is like we're kind of accelerating it draft they're centric. Gonna be a playoff team they're gonna be this and like sure they should be but uh, like it's not like they're winning a championship next season or the season after that i really would be surprised could, if they even came close i could definitely see them being a playoff play in team next year uh, i'd put them on the same timeline as the grizzlies but the grizzlies are two to three years ahead of them I mean, also, like, they were 43-39 and 39 this year. They were the 10 seed in the East. Like, they were the last spot in that play-in, and they lost to the, sure. to the Hawks. Like, 
they are right. They are kind of fitting that timeline. You would like to see them increase. Maybe it's, you know, you're in that seven or eight and you have home court in the plan or something like that next season. Sure, sure. Um, I'm not saying it's a guarantee by any stretch, but maybe you start to see that improvement. If not, you definitely want to maintain a spot in the plane and give yourself a shot at just getting into the playoffs as a whole. So I don't know. I'm encouraged by where they're at. I think their young core is very strong and I think they have enough veteran pieces that one either help you in trades. Cause I, I, I don't think they're like just guys who suck that you're just trying to offload salary. I think other teams could find value there. So I think they have the right pieces to be able to start molding their roster around the mellow and his future and his timeline um, to really become like more of a prominent present, the presence in the Eastern conference in like the, I don't know, the next five years, I'd say definitely see them improve. I I think it starts with Atkinson. I think that was a great hire. I think it's, yeah, obviously Atkinson's going to put you on the right track. Lamelo needs to develop into a superstar type player. You'd like to see some of their other guys take steps too, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that we might want to talk about is the is Denver trading Jamichael Green and a 27 first round pick, 2027 first round pick to OKC. Yeah. The number 30 pick. So, so I think that's it's intriguing for a couple reasons. I think one, I think it makes a ton of sense for um, Denver because they are going to be, mm-hmm. not that they're going to be in cap health, but they are definitely tied right now. They have a lot of money on their books. So I think getting rid of Green. And now you have picks 21 and 30 in the draft paying rookie scale contracts to people late in the draft where we've seen, you can get instant impact players in that range. Sure. They're not going to be superstars in most cases, but Mm -hmm. they can give you a quality 10 minute burst here or there um, on those rookie deals. So I think it's actually really, really smart for them, at least in the as they're trying to compete. They did a a really great job with Bones Highland last year. Yes. I'm not exactly sure what pick he was, but obviously the Nuggets were good and it was a late pick. Right. You get Jamal Murray back for a full season, so it'll give him time to ramp up as you close out. You get Michael Porter Jr. back, hopefully, and it'll also give him time to ramp back up into things. And if you can just fill out the roster with some of these rookie guys, I think it'll be pretty good, especially if they're going to continue to land good picks like Bones Highland, who I mean- has been productive for them. Exactly. And I, I, we said it before and I'll say it again. Now their big thing this offseason is getting healthy and just getting back into like a rhythm as a team. Cause that's where their strength really is going to be um, is just when their stars are healthy again. And so as mm. great as Jokic was, and honestly, Aaron Gordon played pretty well last season. Now he's going to fall to be your fourth option on that team. That's pretty scary, honestly. And if they all connect and they're, you know, I feel like using these, these offseason workouts to really develop some sort of chemistry Mm -hmm. even if they miss on one of either 21 or 30, I don't think it matters. I think they're going to be really good regardless. And they're going to be built for the playoffs when they shorten a rotation. I think one guy they should be looking for is uh, Marjan Beauchamp out of the G League. I think I've seen a lot of things about him being just like a really productive cutter, wing type player, shooter, cutter, the ball a little bit. I think that would be a good pick for them. And they have two, two shots to land them, so. Yeah, I mean, I also I think it would be pretty fun if they drafted, and this is more just me having fun, is if they drafted Nikola Jovic out of um, – ah. Yeah, he's international, but I think it would be fun. He's going in like the early 20s, I think, in most mocks. So maybe now hey. that's my first pick. I don't know. Would be very, very easy to get typos as a beat reporter for uh, – <laughs> Um, wow, jo- Jovic having great, they'll sneak him in second team all rookie or something like that for typos or something. 
Yeah. Um, but no, I, I do think this is actually a, a nice little segue and a nice little teaser for the draft, which is next week, which is just weird to think about. I think it's next Thursday. Um, so for me personally, like seeing this first trade go, I'm hoping it's a domino that we start to see other moves start to happen. Um, because, I, you know, obviously myself and Nick's fan, it's very intriguing. Like, I think we're at that point where my focus is primarily going to be on the draft once these either one or two finals game ends. Like, I'm really sure. diving in. And that's all I'm thinking about. So you're feeling you're feeling a Jaden Ivy. It has to happen. It's I know it's not <laughs> in my plums. I know they're not going to pull Trig and Leon's going to do something you, stupid. But you continue to be very high on a kid who obviously has a very high ceiling, but. As a diehard Purdue fan, I don't think he's the right pick at four, especially if you're looking to. Are you be saying a for anyone or for the Knicks? For the Knicks. If but you're he's not right for the Kings. No, absolutely not. If you're looking to win games now, he's not the pick for you. That's fine. If you're the Knicks Detroit to win games now, if you're the Detroit Pistons at five, he's the right pick, and that's because you just have so much time to learn who he really is and how to make him productive. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a good fit. But you also, I mean, I guess, yeah, next to Kate Cunningham, I feel like that works. They actually, he's, that would be a pretty good landing spot. The only thing, though, is, like, do you think really that Sharp would be a better fit next to Kate Cunningham? And it's hard to evaluate because we didn't see him in college. But, I mean, it seems like that would be a better player to draft there, in my eyes, just because I think you already have your, your ball-handling guard. If I'm the Pacers and I'm looking to rebuild, Ivy's the pick for me. If I'm the Washington Wizards, Ivy's the pick for me. It's just if you're looking to win games, and obviously the top three is kind of set with Jabari Smith, Chet, and Paolo. So you're kind of looking at teams that are kind of like, you know, are we rebuilding? Are we not? And, you know, are we sellers or are we are we buyers? That, those are the teams he's kind of looking at. And I think it's really going to come down to situation where he gets drafted. I really think he needs time. I really think he needs space. He's a terrible decision maker. He relies 100% on his athleticism. Obviously, he's very young. He's 20, 21. So it's not going to be like a huge deal right now. But for his long-term development, and if you want, like unless you're comfortable turning the ball over 10 times a game, literally just from him being at the wrong place at the wrong time or just throwing the ball away, draft him. Here's why Here's why I think it does make more sense for the Knicks, though, is if they do move up to four, they're committing to moving their timeline back because they're going to be trading veterans and other pieces like that. 100%. So it would make sense then to go draft them because the upside is there. And realistically, you're turning the keys over to a younger team anyway. So it's going to be centered around RJ, Quickly, Obi, guys who are pretty much on that same timeline of, yeah, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. They're going to have to learn and they're just going to have to play more and run. And that's why I think adding him to that mix is perfect. It's really just another fish in the barrel to see who pops together and then he can make moves down the line. So I actually really um, think it would be a, it, it's, it's contingent on that trade, obviously, and what is moved, but that's yeah. what I think realistically the Knicks would be signaling if they're like, Hey, we're moving up to four to get them. It's all right. We understand where we're at. We're not competing for a championship right now. We're moving back. We're keeping our young core together, and then we're going to be ready, almost like the Hornets, in the next five years to then start making that push towards the top of the Eastern Conference. RJ Barrett Barrett is 22. You have four years before he's in a surprise. You need to make the playoffs. You need to make the playoffs twice before he turns 26. 
I guess you made the playoffs once already. Yeah. But you need to make the playoffs twice in the next four years. If you I think trade that's up more the floor, than say we have five years now, I, I, I don't think that's your goal. I think a more realistic goal for the Knicks, you trade up to seven or eight, which is the Blazers or the Pelicans, who are very close to taking that next step. You saw it in the Pelicans this year. Blazers still want to compete with Dame on the roster. So you trade your vets to the Blazers of the Pelicans. But why? You draft like a – So let's just move let's up just a little bit. The, the, prospect, roughly... the prospect you get at seven or eight is going to be much more quality than the prospect you get at 11. But let's AJ Griffin, go Dyson through. Daniels, Ben Mathurin. Let's just roughly go through just between seven. I'm saying realistically the top six are kind of set in stone with Keegan Murray going six is my guess. Yeah, um, maybe. But then I feel like it's really wide open between AJ Griffin, Dyson Daniels, Benedict Mathurin, um, Jeremy Sochan from Baylor. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, then you throw in Mark Williams and Jalen Duran, Johnny Davis. Like, can you definitively tell me between I'm not, one, one to six of those guys, who is the most valuable? I'm not sold on. But that's Johnny why I, I can't say that I can confidently make a pick. Then just stick at 11 and see what you get. In my opinion, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger fan on Dyson Daniels and Benedict McFerrin at that six or seven, eight spot. I'm, yeah. if, even if I'm – I would not take Shaden Sharp with a lottery pick. And that's not because I don't think he's not talented. It's the fact that he willingly sat out a year at Kentucky. He's like, you know what, I'm just not going to play. And then he still expects to be a top five pick. I just, I, I'm not comfortable drafting him in the lottery, especially because if I can get somebody that I kind of know – what I'm going to get, it's going to be a huge jump for him. You know, you see other guys who skipped out on college basketball, but at least they went to go play in Australia. They went to go play in Lithuania right. or something like that. They played with grown the men at a higher pace. G League, right. So the fact that he just didn't play really bothers me, and I'm not comfortable how well he's going to transition. I think it might be too fast for him, and it's either going to have to, it's going to be a long time, and I don't have patience for that. Or kind of why I like him to the Pistons. Pan out. It's kind of why I like him to the Pistons because they're in that. If same I'm the Pistons, I can't. I can't continue to waste picks, right? Right, if, that's true. Now that I, I found Cade, I know Cade is going to continue to grow and be great. He's seen what he can do. He can lead a whole team all by himself. He's not on the same level as a LeBron James or a Luka Doncic, but he's within that category. Uh, who is the guy they drafted? Killian Hayes. Yeah, he hasn't been good. They can't waste a pick there. They have Lamelo Ball. Obviously, he's pretty solid. But you know, I I just don't. If I'm anybody in the lottery, you know, I guess if I'm like 13, 14, 15, I can kind of do what Michael Porter with what the Nuggets did with Michael Porter Jr. and kind of take a risk there late in the lottery. But top ten, no way. Even in the late lottery, I'm thinking about it. So. Right. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I I, I don't know. I haven't Obviously, done enough I'm not to deep dive into the draft because I feel like normally there's like a little more lag time between the finals and the the draft for me to like really get comfortable with like the, the different sure. potential picks for each team in different situations. Because um, I have, I feel like, been predominantly focused on the playoffs. Easy, quiet. I know. Um, but sorry about that. My yeah, you're good. <laughs> A dog-sponsored episode. Stop it. Stop it. I know. You want me to finish up. I'm talking too much basketball. Isn't that it? Yeah, see, exactly. 
Um, we're probably here at the end too. Amazing. Quiet, quiet. There you go. Come here. All right. Well, no, quiet. All right. While she, all right. I'm probably going to have to tend to this situation, but <laughs> Luke, okay. we got a couple more go. NBA finals games. Maisie, quiet. Maisie, I'm signing off. All right. Let me get up and entertain her. Next, right. next week, we'll be full on draft. Next week, we do a full on draft pod. Final, finals recap, full on draft. I'm in. I'm in, Luke. And for those of you listening who got through my dog barking, um, tune in next week. Uh, this is the Hoop Troop Podcast. Um, hope you enjoy the rest of the NBA Finals and are gearing up for an awesome NBA draft.